Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Welcome to The Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Steve Murray, founder of Real Trends Consulting and a senior advisor to HousingWire, offers insight and analysis on trending real estate issues. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Hi, this is Steve Murray for Real Trends and HW Media. Three topics today. The confusion between iBuyers, institutional investors, and other investors. Second, a little history of the relocation industry updated. And last, earnings season is upon us. Second quarter earnings reports. What can we learn from these releases and the numbers? So there seems to be some confusion about the residential single-family investment market. Let's break this into three sections. One, iBuyers. According to a recent report by Amherst Madison, iBuyers in the first quarter of this year held something fewer than 8,000 homes or had bought fewer than 8,000 homes. Institutional investors were holding 276,000 homes And yet, a lot of news articles make a huge deal out of Wall Street money pouring into the residential single-family investment market. Let's put this in context for the brokerage community and top agents and teams. And here it is. There are somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million one-to-four-family homes in the United States owned by investors. The great majority of those are owned by private families or individuals who may own one or two of them. That's 20 million, probably more. And institutions own 276,000. So let's put that in perspective. That's maybe a touch over 1% of all investor-owned homes in the country are owned by institutions. Okay, even if they double it, it's still something just a little over 2%, and that is just of the investor-owned single-family or one-to-four-family housing market. I mean, let's not get our knickers in a twist about institutional impacts on single-family home ownership. Is it meaningful? Yes. Is it something to keep an eye on? Of course it is. But how many brokers, agents, and teams are actually focused on serving the other 19 million investor-owned one-to-four-family homes in the country? In the past, we've done numerous research reports on this market and the services they look for and how the market breaks down. The National Association of Residential Property Managers also has done significant research and has very good data on the investor-owned single-family market. 
Let me leave by saying this. It is a huge market. It is generally underserved. It is highly fragmented in terms of the residential property management industry, and it is a wide open opportunity. I didn't say it was easy, and I didn't say that it didn't have its own challenges, but it is a huge underserved market. We should not get distracted by the sound and fury of the iBuyer segment. It's even smaller. Nor should we get greatly concerned about the institutional investors in the single-family market at this time. Rather, we should perhaps focus on the individual property owner family who owns one, two, three, or four units. It's a great opportunity. Second, I was thinking about, again, the iBuyer segment and niches when I encountered the leader of a company that is basically unknown in this country. I just learned of it recently. Do you know or does anybody understand there's a company in our country that provides relocation management services to senior living centers? Or does the same thing for large production builders? It's interesting to note that 50 years ago, at the dawn of the relocation management industry, the industry's reaction to an entity getting between the broker and their clients and customers, that is, serving corporate America to help move their employees, caused a riot in our industry all those years ago. But ultimately, the industry adopted common relocation management services and brokers built relocation management departments and broker-to-broker referral systems were built to serve that segment. So then to learn that there's a national company that actually offers services to senior living centers all over the country to handle the move of a family, particularly elderly, that's moving from their ownership position in a single-family home to an assisted living or a senior living center, it's a massive market. And yet, I hear no brokerage firms talking about that segment of the market. Are we leaving, yet again, a big, growing, important segment of the market to companies that are organizing a whole program together, by the way, with an I-buying function to help boomers and traditional families, old couples or singles, moving from independent single-family home ownership to perhaps assisted living or independent living in senior living centers. Not to mention the whole program of helping builders get people under contract when they have a home to sell. This same company offers services to seniors and to builders and has a whole iBuying program. You know what their biggest challenge is, they reported to me? Not that brokers aren't interested, but they can't get agents at those companies interested. And it brought to mind how our industry reacted 40 and 50 years ago to the relocation management companies who entered the business and walked off with a segment of the business of four to five to six hundred thousand transactions a year because, oh, well, those are our customers and we'll get them anyway because we have a relationship with them. 
I think it's time for the industry to wake up and understand there are companies that will partner with brokers. Knock is one of them. Moving Station is another that we that come to mind right away that will partner with brokers to offer all kinds of bridge loan and i-buying services to agents and brokers so they can compete with the segment of the market that wants access to those services. Are we once again as an industry going to ignore it because it isn't what we do? Lastly, within the next week to 10 days, the earnings reports from the national publicly held real estate companies will all be out. And everybody kind of runs around and waits for someone else to look at the data and give them an overview. You know, Rilogy is up and Remax is this way and Keller's over this way and Fathom and Real Brokerage and Zillow and Redfin and EXP and the rest of them. One recommendation to everyone who cares to listen to this podcast you might want to download those reports yourselves, and you might want to read those financial and operating results yourselves, and you might be able to compare them to your results in the second quarter of 2021, and you might see some interesting trends in their operations and in their financial results. Important metrics that may help when you benchmark against your own results to get some better idea of how well you're truly performing. Now, my guess is, of course, that everybody listening into this outperformed all these publicly held companies, but I doubt that. Whether it's in growth per agents, growth per transactions, volume, margins, one doesn't know until one takes the time to read these things and learn from what they're doing each of these companies, some are similar, some are not similar. But they'll all be out, and there's something to be learned from reviewing those numbers. This has been Steve Murray for Real Trends. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.